0: It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado, with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's today's special guest, Philip Hartman. We're going to be talking about Jehovah Sabaoth this morning. So yesterday we talked about Jehovah and introduced the concept of, of of Jehovah and, and, and there in Exodus chapter 3, the I am that I am. And this morning, we're going to be talking about one of those Jehovah compounds that I had mentioned, which is Jehovah Sabaoth. Okay, now now Jehovah Sabaoth, if you've ever looked at it and thought, oh, that's like he's the Lord of the Sabbath or something like that. Anybody ever thought that? Okay, thanks for being honest, I appreciate that. I thought that, so uh, <laughs> so I, saw, I was like, okay, well there's just Sabbath with an O in there, I don't know why they put the O in there, but anyways, maybe it's the Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, that's not what it means, it has nothing to do with the Sabbath. The Lord of, of Sabaoth, or, or Yehovah Sabaoth, is this idea of the Lord of Hosts. And it's this, this name that's actually used a lot in the Old Testament. And it's referred to a couple of times in the New Testament when quoting, uh, for example, Hosea is quoted as, as talking about the Lord of hosts in the New Testament. It's used several times in the New Testament in that way. But he is the Lord of hosts. okay? And, and uh, the idea of Lord is the master or the, the controller, of one who is above all, the one who is the lord of hosts and of course as we talked about yesterday as the i am that means in this position as lord of hosts he is self-existent self-dependent eternal and cannot be removed from that position if you were to say it that way but, but it begs the question what host are we talking about an army? Are we talking about angels? And, and so the, the Old Testament uses this word in a really broad way. Okay, so for example, if, if the idea of a host, if you just look at the word Sabaoth, because it's used not just in the context of Jehovah Sabaoth, the idea of the word Sabaoth is that which goes forth to battle. Okay, so it would be an army or, or a force, but then it's also used not only about that which goes forth to battle, but it's used about heavenly hosts, In two different ways, both in terms of the angelic hosts, which do go forth to battle, but also the heavenly hosts in terms of the the host of the heavenly bodies, okay, in in other words, the moon, the sun, the stars, the host of of, of the heavenly bodies out there in the sky. And then you also have where it's actually used over the term of all creation, okay, so the host of, of creation, as it were. So the question, which host, the answer is every host. Pick one, all of them, whether it's the host of a body of, of stars and, and the moon and the sun or whether it be the host of, of, a, of a wicked army here on earth or whether it be the host, and I'll, and I'll prove that to you biblically, or whether it be the host of all creation, that God created the heavens and the earth and they were unified and submitted to his will, and this grand picture of the majesty and glory of our God. Of course, until man rebelled and brought sin into the world. But that's the idea of the Lord of hosts. So I want to read for just a, pa- a few passages that, that mention this concept, and then we'll start to dive into this a little bit, okay? So Psalm 46, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Psalm 46... Verses 1, we're going to go all the way through verse 11. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, and though the mountains shake with swelling thereof. Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her in that right early. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. So you see, the the heathen, the kingdoms, and the earth melting when God utters his voice. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he have made in the earth. He makes wars the season of the end of the earth, he breaks the bow and cuts the spear in sunder, he burns the chariot in fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen, I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. What more comforting statement could you say than the Lord of hosts is with us? Psalm 24, lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Psalm 84, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusts in thee. Blessed is the man that trusts in thee. Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Our songs always remove the Lord of hosts. They just say the Lord. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of a door moved to the voice of him that cried, And the house is filled with smoke. Then said I... Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Uh, We're going to get into this a little bit later, but the Lord of hosts is is referenced to in two ways. One is, is a comfort to the people of God that the Lord of hosts is with us. That though be, the mountains be thrown into the midst of the sea and the, the earth be moved out of her place, the Lord of hosts is with us. What can we be afraid of? And then you have on the other side, the woe is me, I am undone. Terrifying because the Lord of hosts. And you see both of these different sides when it's referencing the Lord of hosts. Isaiah 13, therefore I will shake the heavens and the earth shall remove out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. Wow. So an earthly king gets upset, and he kills a couple people. In the day of the fierce anger of the Lord of hosts, the heavens shake, and the earth is pff, removed out of its place. Wow. Wow. That is the God with whom we have to deal. As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Jeremiah 50 says, their Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name. Again, here you see the, the comfort of the Lord of hosts redeeming. He shall thoroughly plead their cause, that he may give rest of the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon in Isaiah fifty one, but I am the Lord thy God that divided the sea, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name. So you see this picture of he is the Lord over all of all earthly hosts, over all heavenly hosts, over all the host of creation. Now, I want to talk just for a minute about the power of a host, specifically in in terms of an angelic host, okay, and and just to almost open up our minds just a little bit to think about this, uh, just a little exercise, okay, so you guys remember Matthew 26, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, they're coming to arrest him, and of course, Peter and the others have fallen asleep multiple times when they're supposed to be praying and watching, so... Peter wakes up, obviously is not in stride with the Spirit of God, takes a sword and chops off the servant of the high priest's ear. You guys remember this? Jesus takes the ear, puts it back on, and, and then rebukes Peter. And he says, don't you know? He says, think his vow that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels. Now, I just want to look at what that is just for a second, okay? So, twelve legions of angels, this isn't the whole heavenly host. He just says... Don't you know I can pray? And and he says more, so we don't know exactly what that means. He just says more than 12 legions of angels. Now, a legion in the Roman times was 5,120 soldiers. Okay, and up to 6,000 with auxiliaries. I I guess they'd have scouts or I don't know, whatever auxiliaries they have. But we'll take the low number. Okay, so 12 legions, we're not talking about more than 12, just 12 legions, would be 61,440 angels. Okay, now... Do you guys remember Hezekiah? And we, we gave a session on this recently, but you guys remember Hezekiah and the Assyrians come against Hezekiah and in one night, one angel comes and kills 185,000 Assyrians. That is one angel. Okay, so I did the calculation and uh, a, a full legion, or 12 legions, in one night's work could slay 11.4 billion people. He says, "Don't you know I could take? I could, I could ask my father; if he'd give me more than twelve legions of angels." Now I'm really, really glad that God is not interested today in killing 11.4 billion people. And yet, you know what? Why should we fear anything? Why should we fear what man can do to us? That's just angels. That's not even accounting for the fact. God is on our side. The Lord of Hosts is with us. Not just the host, not just a couple of angels, but we're talking about the Lord over all hosts who is with us. So, the name Lord of Hosts is, is first used if you go through the scriptures chronologically, it's first used in 1 Samuel chapter 1, okay? And this is where Hannah, you remember Hannah, she praised the Lord and the Lord gives her a child, Samuel, okay? And she prays and she references this name, the Lord of hosts. And that's where we first see this name introduced, which is actually sort of neat when you think about it in terms of the Lord of hosts who who has all this mighty power and yet cares even about the womb of a barren woman. Isn't that a neat picture of the way that he handles the host of creation uh, that, that, as Cory Timboom said, that there's nothing too great for God's power and nothing too small for God's love. And so, so, first Samuel's where we first see it seen, but really it's not used very much until the season of the prophets, okay? Because here's, here's what happens we have Samuel, who then anoints Saul as the first king, and then deposes Saul. Places David is the first king. Samuel or the second king. Samuel dies. Then you have Solomon. You have a split kingdom, and we know that the Assyrians come in and wipe out Israel, and the Babylonians come in and take over Judah. See, during that whole season, you know what God's doing? God is showing them that He is the Lord of hosts, and much, much of this was in a very real, earthly sense. If you go to the context, we're talking about God who, who sovereignly works over a heathen army of the Babylonians and uses them to come in and bring judgment upon his people. And then, just as he promised, the people then are sent back by those, they're not the same people, but uh, after there's been wars and things amongst the Babylonians and then you have the Persians and so on, then they come back out later on. That God is the Lord of hosts and so during that season of judgment though you have this statement thus saith the Lord of hosts and if you did a study on the prophets sometime you would see that statement replete throughout all the prophets during that time was that they most commonly referred during that time to the Lord of hosts and so I want to read a few of these Nahum 2.13, behold, I am against thee, this is speaking to Nineveh, says the Lord of hosts. Wow. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Now just as an illustration, President of the United States is a commander of the Armed Forces of the United States of America, right? So imagine that were five of you guys here at Ellerslie who got a little bit of a renegade spirit. And I'm glad you're not going to do this. But, and you said, we rebel against the United States of America and we defy the president. Come get us. And the president says to all of his hosts, go get them. I'm voting on the side of a commander of the armed forces of the United States of America. Not because I don't like you guys. I'm just not that impressed with your uh, combat skills. Okay? <laughs> that is nothing compared to when the Lord says... Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am against thee. That is a terrifying statement. And he says, and I will burn her chariots in the smoke, and the sword shall devour thy young lions, and I will cut off thy prey from the earth, and the voice of thy messengers shall no more be heard. Jeremiah 19, and say, hear ye the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will bring evil upon this place, the which whosoever hears, his ears will tingle. That's sobering. But then on the other side, you have in, in Micah 4, 4, for example, a promise, where he says, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, meaning there will be peace in the land and, and fruitfulness And none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. They're going to all sit in their own vineyards, and nothing will make them afraid. Why? Because the Lord of hosts said it. Isaiah 14, for the Lord of hosts have purpose, and who shall disannul it? And his hand is stretched out, and who shall turn it back? If he says it will be done, it will be done because he's the lord of hosts now it's really important to keep this in mind the lord of hosts is restrained to the nature of the lord okay jehovah sabayoff is is restrained to the nature of jehovah sabayoff in other words he will never do something that will violate his own nature because that's who he is. Let me give you guys an example. Do you guys remember a story where there's some men that, that, that I forget exactly what they did, I think they spoke against Jesus or, or did something to, to that effect, and his disciples go, Oh, hey, Lord, how about we do that, that same thing that uh, Elisha did, and we call down fire on them. They're like, This is pretty cool. we got the Lord of hosts. Let's call down fire on them. And the Lord rebukes them. You see, what were they trying to do? They were thinking, hey, this is cool. we got some power here. Let's, let's destroy the enemies. And yet you recognize that the Lord of hosts will never use his power in such a way that is contrary to his nature. He will never use his power in such a way that is contrary to his nature and, of course, to his word or his promise because his nature is truth. But you also recognize that as a holy, holy, holy Lord of hosts, he is dead set on destroying all that which is not holy. That is his nature. That he is dead set on destroying anything that is not like him. Or that is not, or that is darkness, you could say. Because he is Light. And that's the nature of light. And that both is a comforting statement to the saint and a terrifying statement to the unbeliever. To the saint, it's a great comfort because he recognizes that he is dead set on sanctifying you and that he will tax everything that is needed to see that his saints are sanctified. To become holy as he is holy. That is, the Lord of hosts, he is far more interested in, in your holiness than he is in your comfort or your happiness or your fun. Will you have joy? Yes. But he's interested in you becoming holy. And so he's dead set on destroying everything in your life. That would be contrary to his nature. And that's a comfort to the saint. But to the unbeliever, God is dead set on destroying darkness. And his wrath has been revealed against all unrighteousness. And if they do not repent during this season of of mercy, he will destroy them. That is what his word says. And that should be something that we remember. It's like William Booth said that if he could finish his discipleship well with the people he was training, he would hang them over hell for 24 hours so that they would hear the screams of hell. Now, of course, we can't do that, right? And yet the word of God reveals these things, and it should cause us to be sobered. And so there's two sides, and I want to read both of them. And we've, we've seen a little bit of this already. But on one side you see those who are opposed to the Lord of hosts, and you have those who are on the side of the Lord of hosts. And I want, to, I want to read some of the passages specifically. So let's talk about those who are opposed to the Lord of hosts. Haggai 1 says this in verse 5 and verse 7. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Again, he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. First Peter 5 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you are subject to one another, and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. James 4.4, 4, You adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity or, or being an enemy with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. You choose. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself opposed to the Lord of hosts. Matthew 21, Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the scriptures that the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone, this is Jesus, shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. There's two different types of people. Those who humble themselves and fall upon him, they'll be broken. But whoever this stone falls on, it will grind him to powder. Psalm 2 This is a a, a psalm that is prophesying of the Messiah. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their courts from us. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have him in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said to me, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thine possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little." Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. So on the flip side, you have these passages that talk about being on the side of the Lord of hosts. And I want to read some of these. Zechariah 1.3, three is a really neat passage. Therefore, say thou unto them, thus says the Lord of hosts, turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. How many times did it say, sayeth the Lord of hosts? Just making sure you guys are awake. Three times. That's right, three times. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, turn you unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. You think it's important who's talking? I think he wants us to know. Isn't that a beautiful passage, Joe? That though those upon whom he falls will be ground to powder, and though in the day of the wrath of the Lord of hosts, the... The heavens will shake and the earth will be removed out of its place. Those who are in opposition to him have a season where he says, turn unto me. This is the Lord of hosts speaking. Turn unto me and I will turn unto you. That he is, is pleading with the people of this earth who have set themselves against him. Turn unto me and I will turn unto you, says the Lord of hosts. You see this said quite a few times about David. And I'm just going to read two passages. First Samuel. This is David going against Goliath. And he says to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defied. Isn't that neat? I come to thee in the name of Jehovah Sabaoth. First Chronicles 11, 9. So David waxed greater and greater for the Lord of hosts was with him. And you'll see that passage over and over. The Lord of hosts was with him. So if we have turned into the Lord of hosts and we have made ourselves with him, this ought to imply that we obey him implicitly as the Lord of hosts. You guys follow me on this? In other words, if we've turned unto him and we said we acknowledge him as Lord of hosts and he's turned unto us, then it ought to imply that we obey him as part of his hosts without question and without fail. Now, if you go back to Roman times, I I don't know if you know this, but any disobedience from a soldier meant death. Even if it was a slight disobedience, there was zero disobedience tolerated. So if a commander said something and and a soldier disobeyed at all, that soldier was killed. The seriousness of being a part of his host as those who have turned to him. I don't know if you guys have heard this story or not. But I think it's just a really neat picture. But Alexander the Great, a few hundred years before Christ, is going on his rampage, his, his great uh, expansion of his kingdom. And he's traveling to go and try and conquest some of India or what is, is now India. And so he's on his way there, and he comes up against this castle. And the, the castle's really well defended. And so Alexander's men come up to the castle, and they say, surrender. And the, the lord of the castle says, why should we surrender? We're in a stronger position. We've got plenty of men. You're the ones that should be surrendering. And Alexander the Great says, okay. So he lines up his best men in single file. There's a cliff right next to his castle. And he lines them up in single file, and he says, march. And one by one, these men start marching off the cliff. Just filing right off of it. Eleven of them have fallen to their death, and he says, stop. They stop, and he looks up at the king. He says, surrender. And immediately the white flag comes up. Because the king of this this castle recognizes that if that's the way his men obey him, I don't stand a chance. What would it look like if you and I obeyed Jesus Christ with that sort of instant obedience? Can you imagine the guy in the front of the line? That would stink. (laughs) Right? I mean, you all are like, oh, I would really hope I'm number 14 or 12 or something like that. You know, and number, number 12 is like, stop. Oh, okay, praise the Lord. You know, <laughs> but, but what would it look like if our obedience to Jesus Christ, I mean, we're talking about Alexander the Great. Who cares? Just a man. We're talking about the Lord of hosts. And if our obedience to him was so trusting that though he slay me, yet will I trust him. By the way, that's what Job said. If that was the sort of confidence that we had in our God, I don't need to understand it. I don't need to be controlling it. I trust him. And if he slays me, I trust him. If he keeps me alive, I trust him. If I end up in a situation I don't want to be in, I trust him because he is worthy, and we've joined his hosts, and so he deserves our obedience. There's a statement in the Proverbs that says that that in the well, I'll just read it. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. That in the fear of the Lord there is a strong confidence. Why? Because if you fear God, you won't fear anything else, and if you don't fear God, you will fear a bunch of other things. And and in case you thought this was a New te- uh, Old Testament idea, Peter then says, "But if you call upon the Father, but we we're to pass our time of sojourning here in fear, there should be a healthy fear of God, and that's missing in our generation." Now, really quickly, we'll finish with this: Jesus is. The Lord of Hosts. Again, this is not just the God of the Old Testament, but Jesus is the Lord of Hosts, who is, by the way, the God of the Old Testament. And all that we've said about the Lord of Hosts is true of Jesus. You know, in Acts chapter 2, he says, This is Peter preaching right after Pentecost. He says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus whom you crucified. Both Lord and Christ. Can you imagine how terrifying it would be? He's speaking to the house of Israel to, to hear that the one whom you crucified is the Lord of hosts. It would be terrifying. Ephesians 1. Of course, they turn unto him, which is amazing. Ephesians 1, 19, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and have put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body and the fullness of him that fills all in all. And I mentioned this earlier, but God is dead set on destroying darkness. And and you could say that, that the greatest battle of all time was there on the cross as the Lord of hosts himself went forth to battle and killed the power of sin. Destroyed the power of sin in the flesh, crushed the head of the serpent there upon the cross. I read this passage earlier. But I just want to finish with this as our meditation. Jeremiah 50 says, Their Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name. He shall thoroughly plead their cause. That, that, that our Redeemer is the Lord of hosts. And if the Lord of hosts says he will do it, he will surely get it done. And he says he will thoroughly plead the cause of his people. It's like it says in Hebrews, that he will save to the uttermost. Not halfway, not three quarters, not 99%, but he will thoroughly plead the cause, save to the uttermost, those who come to him through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, just as Elijah prayed for his servant there, when they were surrounded by the Assyrians, that you would open his eyes to see the armies of a living God that were watching out for them, that were protecting them. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, not only to to just see heavenly hosts, but Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to see you as the Lord of hosts. Because our confidence is not just in, in hosts. Our confidence is in you. Our, our trust is in you as the Lord of hosts. And we pray with, with, with Job, though you slay me, yet will I trust you. Lord, we remember those who are opposed still to the Lord of hosts. I pray that you would break us over this. And that you would bring many to repentance for the preaching of the word that we would be faithful to make disciples. Even those, Lord, maybe in this room we're on a stream, Lord, that that are yet opposed to the Lord of hosts. Would you break them, Lord, that they would fall upon the rock and be saved, lest the rock should fall upon them and grind them to powder. And Lord, what what a reality that you are thoroughly pleading our cause, that our Redeemer is the Lord of hosts, and he has said, turn unto me, and I will turn unto you.